0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Inside Situation, a bi-weekly podcast where we share with you some of the conversations we're having inside the agency with our coworkers, our partners, and our clients. I'm Peter Giudicek, head of technology at Situation, and I'm joined this week by Kevin McAuley from our creative team. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Thank you very much. And back by popular demand, we've got Lisa Cicchini, our VP of Media and Insights. Welcome back, Lisa.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're thrilled to have you. At our last event, uh, a listener actually told me that uh, your episode of the podcast was their favorite one to date. So,
1: uh, Very sweet.
0: We're just giving the people what they want. The fan letters. It's unbelievable. Just <laughs> like It's like
2: Miracle on 34th Street. They come in, they just put them all over Peter's desk, and we don't it's know what true. to do with them. So many of
0: them come in for Lisa, so don't blow it.
1: Okay, um, no pressure.
0: A little bit of an update on Jordan. She's still out getting married, uh, but she's coming back next week. <laughs> It's been a very long ceremony, <laughs> uh, but uh, she, she will be back with us next time, I promise. Um, I'm, we have definitely missed her. And uh, so we're going to talk about three topics today uh, per usual. But before we, before we get to that, I, I wanted to do an update uh, on a topic from last podcast where I, I mentioned a story about how I got an email from Zappos that said after October 18th, because I'm such a great Zappos customer, they were going to send me one email per day. Uh, about all the great things that I shouldn't miss this holiday season. And, uh, and, and I thought that that was just crazy. <laughs> they were equating volume with quality. Uh, and it's just kind of opposite to the way I think that we think about personalization and effectiveness of campaigns. So I replied to that email a little bit snarky. I was like, who thought this was a good idea? No, thanks. Uh, not expecting that anyone would see it, but of course they did. They read it and Zappos replied and they said, we're really sorry to hear that, uh, you're not interested in getting an email every day from us. So we've removed you from our list.
2: Oh.
0: And, uh, and, you know, thanks for being a customer. So, in, you know, I kind of kept it going. I replied again and I said, wow, I'm really impressed that you read that, first of all. Um, I really do like your company. Uh, and I, I don't want to necessarily be removed from everything, but I just don't want to get an email every day. Is there any way that I can stay on the list but just not get the daily email? To which they replied, no. Um, there's, (laughs) you know, apparently (laughs) you're all in or you're all out with Zappos, at least in this phase of what they're doing. So I'm still not on the list, but the kicker is they, uh, they sent me a $25 coupon that I applied to shoes that I'm wearing right now. So the saga of Zappos and their customer service, customer service, great. Flexibility in marketing communication maybe needs a step up. Who knows?
2: I have to say that is the most mature breakup I've ever heard of. (laughs) Very mutual. They obviously wanted to move to the next level. You weren't into
0: Mm -hmm. it. They gave me money. money. That's great. If I got paid every time I went through a breakup, of that would definitely soften the blow.
1: <laughs> Side note In if you happen to find yourself in Louisville, Kentucky, there is a Zappos outlet about 30 minutes south of there, which I was at last weekend. And I'm also wearing shoes that I purchased at the outlet at this very moment.
2: Like an outlet with a bank of computers where you can purchase things off Zappos? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, the actual products are there
2: That's amazing
1: Mostly You're shoes, but they mind. have other clothing in, well, as well That's Mostly 50-70% to 70% off
0: Wow That's Excellent. That's, uh, you know, a good Zappos sample sale <laughs> Who can top that? Uh, Kevin, are you wearing Zappos shoes? Any, I'm, anything? I'm Zappos? not wearing any shoes, as per usual <laughs> oh, I didn't uh, Just notice. barefoot through New York City <laughs> The only way to do it uh, No, I, I am wearing shoes, but they were not purchased on
2: Zappos, unfortunately
0: well, maybe next time. Uh, and if, any, if they decide to email me any more, give me any more information, I'll definitely let everybody know how it goes. I and mean, I might even resubscribe. I don't know. I'm kind of, now, now I'm thinking maybe I should change my mind. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, all right. So to the roundtable, we've got our three topics this week. Uh, Kevin, why don't you start us off? Sure. I would like to talk about apps.
2: Um, I like potato skins. Uh, Wings, (laughs) normally. No, I would like to talk about mobile apps. And specifically this past Wednesday, a new app came out called Relcy. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's R-E-L-C-Y. And they're basically part of these companies that are trying to reimagine search on your mobile device. Nowadays, we all have pages and pages of apps, all these different... Actionable items from watching something to making a reservation. And these companies are trying to say, you know, rather than do your web search through Google, this app is going to look through your phone, it's going to look through your apps, it's going to look through apps you may not have downloaded yet. And it's going to give you the information and the actionable items
0: that you are really looking for uh, on your mobile device. It's very so, interesting. So instead of where if I go to Google, it sends me to web pages. The results here are all
2: apps. It starts. The top results are apps. It does have a, a web search that's powered by Bing. They're not really involved in that. They just bring in Bing at the bottom. But it's focused on the apps on your phone, um, and it's part of this uh, movement of deep linking that people are trying to do. The apps, so they're trying to make the apps connected in a in a way, um, so that even competing apps can be accessible through the search engine. And there are some companies that are experimenting with. Uh, referral fees. So like if your app leads to another app, then you're going to get paid. So it kind of makes this more of an app community, Interesting. uh, which makes it uh, a more, a better experience for the user. I think, uh, I've tried the app. I think uh, it's still working through some stuff, but ultimately it's very interesting. I really, I'm looking forward to an opportunity where I'm out and about and I want to, and I use it to see if I can make a reservation or go see a movie because that's really what it's for. Um, but it's,
0: yeah, it's very interesting. It, 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 we actually just had, you know, with the School of, Mo- uh, School of Rock 360 video, you know, as we were promoting that, the, the, you needed to watch the video within the YouTube app rather than mobile YouTube in the browser for the 360 to work. So it was very interesting for us to kind of figure out the protocols and the links that we had to use to make sure that people got into the app and then got to see the video within the app. It was a little, a little bit of a challenge. We had to figure that out. So I'm, I'm curious to see if uh, if these guys have kind of cracked the nut of not only opening that app, but then delivering the content within the app that you're looking for. That'll be interesting to test. I can't wait to download it. I mean, it, for apps, the engagement level is much higher than just when you're surfing the web and things like that.
2: And pe- people spend, when they're on their mobile device, 60% of that time is spent in their apps, not just you know browsing through Safari, whatever web browser you have on your mobile device. So it is... a a lucrative space to, uh, you know, really capture people's attention and and keep the focus there. And they're reinventing search in a way uh, that I'm sure also Google is working on somewhere in their, in their offices, but uh, you know, this is out and you can give it a shot.
0: So do you, do you think there, I'm sorry, go ahead, Lisa. No, I was
1: going to say, I think the challenge still remains that yes, 60 to 80% of the time is spent in app, but 90% of that app time is in like 10 apps like most there it's in facebook it's in youtube it's in right. so it's 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 a such a funny space because there's not like the way it is online there's certainly the the com score top sites but there are all these long tail sites and that's not the behavior on mobile it's it's these couple guys you know that are really holding the majority of the traffic and this is interesting because it could hopefully open up other apps to like get into the space to make you realize, Oh, this will give me the information that I need and help you explore a little bit more because that's the shift that I think we're still waiting to see happen is a more diversity of app usage of what those apps are versus these couple guys taking the overwhelming share of the usage time.
0: Yeah. And and I think it brings up the idea of an app as a unitasker as Alton Brown would say, or as an environment, you know, an app that does one thing, Fandango sells you movie tickets. Uh, primarily you can watch reviews and things like that. But, you know, whereas uh, you know, an app like the one that we just launched our situation app, we we are trying to consolidate a lot of different things in there. We're pulling in our blog posts we're pulling in our tweets and our Instagram feed. We've got our job board in there. So we're actually trying to create an environment to consolidate various channels. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, how a search result would be, you know, offered up in, you know, a, a single task app versus something that has a lot going on inside.
2: Yeah. And on the, an offshoot of that conversation, I saw that uh, Nike this week said they were going to start advertising in the weather.com app. So if you go onto your app and you see that, you know, it's cold outside, you're going to get an ad for their winter apparel and uh you know you click out there and you can go purchase it right there and that's interesting to me for a couple reasons one is because they do say that when you're in an app on your mobile phone you are more engaged than you know when you're doing other things but also uh ad blockers aren't going to be able to reach those ads that live inside apps so that all those ads you turned off you're going to be seeing them again yay um it's just an interesting space seeing the development in app usage and how we interact with apps on our phone uh it's be, it seems to me like it's, it is becoming more of a,
0: a cohesive ecosystem, uh, which I'm excited about. Yeah, well, here's hoping that uh, that encourages the app developers to make the ads better then. Uh, you know, And I think they're going to be incentivized to because if, if I'm agreeing – if I'm the weather.com app and I'm going to you know sell ad space to Nike, I can control what that experience is like. I can present the video – in my app in a way that doesn't feel like it's blocking or hiding something or just doesn't work. They're going to be responsible for testing it and make sure that that pre-roll video or whatever it is, you know, actually functions well and just doesn't break what I'm trying to do. Whereas you, you have less control if you're look, just doing a mobile web browser. So hopefully the ads will get better, um, you know, and, and and if they don't, I'll delete the app. Or I'll, <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I definitely think that's very optimistic. So I'll play the, the Debbie Downer role because the problem is if weather.com is going to as an advertiser if you're going to reject my ads weather.com fine i'm going to buy with the weather bug app you know there's just there's too much competition um potentially out there and at the end of the day they can only sell so much of their inventory for ads um for ones that get a lot of traffic they can only sense they can only sell so much to directly to um an advertiser or an agency the rest of it's going to go into an exchange and any monkey as long as those a monkey, I mean like what we do, the media team. <laughs> We're awesome monkeys. But any monkey can go in and traffic ads. And if, you know, you win out that auction on the exchange, your ad might show up on weather.com. And they've lost a lot of creative control over that space just by the emergence of DSPs and programmatic buying.
0: Well, but I think the difference is, you know, we I don't know if there are too many exchanges that are inside apps yet. I think, you know, ideally the relationship is with that particular app not a series of apps, because app development is is kind of a one-by-one. A, one. a lot of it's very custom right now. There aren't too many platforms that do a whole series that can say, you advertise with me, you'll be in these 10 apps. So if it's more of a one-to-one relationship, hopefully that experience will, you know, it'll behoove them to make that experience good. I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there will be exchanges, you know, and I know there are some exchanges within apps. Actually, Apple, I believe, just removed, a whole bunch of apps from the App Store about a week and a half ago because uh, there was a uh, – it was an advertising network or an SDK that was being used that was doing – that was violating Apple's protocols. It was basically in, – in a nutshell, Apple says, you know, you can – in your app shouldn't try to f- figure out, like, what else is on a user's phone. And these the, these series of apps that all use this, this collection – of JavaScript libraries, they were doing that. They were, they were trying to figure out what other apps do you have? What app is on top? And, and it was working and Apple figured out that they were doing that and they basically cut them off. So it's the wild West for apps, but uh, you know, I think, (laughs) you know, to close off on on this topic, Kevin, do you think, you know, often we talk about the death of the web browser, you know, wired has been predicting it since the nineties. Um, they're still around. We still got web browsers, you know, um, and they, they're, so do you, do you envision that the role of the web browser on mobile will diminish?
2: I, I do. I barely use my web browser on mobile. I feel like most of the content that I'm looking for, I do have contained in my apps. Right. And this is, in terms of search, this is only going to enhance that experience. I, so yes, I do think that the role of the web browser on mobile devices will diminish uh, over time.
0: Well, we shall see. More to come on this topic, I am sure. Hashtag predictions. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Lisa, why don't we go to your topic for today? What did you want to talk about?
1: Sure. So um, I believe on Wednesday was the official launch of YouTube Red, which is YouTube's new subscription service. They had announced it a while back, but I think you can officially... You could officially start purchasing a subscription, a monthly subscription to that on Wednesday the 28th. So it just happened two days ago. Um, And it's going to be interesting. I think YouTube has been planning for quite some time to really try and pull out of – Being, oh, yeah, YouTube, that's that place where I go for user-generated content and really more about, no, no, YouTube's that place I go for all video, regardless whether it's user-generated or it's premium content or it's the YouTube celebrity that I love that has its own series or whatever it is. Um, That's been, I think, a strategic play for them for quite some time, and I think that's shown in the personnel they've hired to work on this, um, launch, but, um, it's really interesting because obviously that's becoming the whole concept of paying a subscription for a video based platform, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is, it's, um, starting to get not saturated per se, but saturated in some ways. Um, it is different opportunity than, um, than a Netflix or a Hulu, which, of course, focuses more on full episodes of shows or movies. Um, And this is going to be more about that YouTube is going to be more focused on music, it seems like, as well as um, their... YouTube celebrity-driven series and, of course, presenting those without ads, which I think is probably the main draw of YouTube Red. But there will also be some original content that it seems like will only be available on YouTube Red. So in some ways, it is it is similar to, you know, an Amazon Prime having their own series or Netflix having their own series. It looks like they're going to start going into that space. Um, so I think what remains to be seen is, you know, where Where's the limit in people's willingness to spend a monthly subscription across multiple platforms? Are you going to be a Hulu loyalist or are you going to be the type of person that doesn't mind throwing down a monthly subscription to a Hulu and an Amazon Prime and a YouTube? Um, we don't know what the saturation point is for that because this is so new for us. Um, but I think it's interesting and I, I'm not surprised that they're going in this direction because, there's no limit to what they want to dip their toe into. So it's, it's just not surprising that they would be, they would be testing this out.
0: Well, I was, I was honestly a little bit surprised by the price right now. They'll give you a free month, but it's nine ninety nine dollars per month, and they don't have that original content yet. So really, you know, these early adopters who are willing to shell out the 10, I, I think that's high for us, for, you know, because that's I—that's about what I pay. It's a little less than what I pay for Netflix and, Netflix and Hulu, but I have access to so much, you know, back there and Amazon. I'm a member of all three. And, you know, just losing the ads and, and thinking that the original content will be good in January or February when they roll it out, I think that's a big gamble.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I could be wrong, but I believe it's nine ninety nine dollars a month. But for iPhone people, it's twelve ninety nine a month, which I think oh. is just fascinating. I got such a kick out of that personally. Hmm. Um, there's a tax
2: that they're covering. That's what <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like, it like some kind of app, uh, app tax Apple that turns. they're working into the yes, price. Yes, yeah. because
1: obviously – I mean not obviously. I would assume that most likely it does not – there, there's not any more difficultness for them to shut off ads if you're watching on a YouTube app on an iPhone versus if you – my guess is the technology on their end is all the same to filter and sort and make that work. I, you got to think it's just a play about you know, their alignment with Droid and I just I – I just thought it was really funny personally. <laughs> I,
0: I didn't realize that. That is interesting. I have to say though
2: I think that this is less about the video uh, content right now. I think a big part of this is the music. Like people – it's so amazing to me how like my, my brother, he's four years younger than me, him and his friends, like when they listen to music, they don't go to Spotify. I mean you can get Spotify free. They go to YouTube and now this is basically – that nine ninety nine a month, that could replace a Spotify subscription or RDO or Tidal, whatever you have and now they've updated because this was always a problem listening on your mobile phone. You can play in the background. Right. So, right. and, th- to and me, offline and offline, a mm-hmm. lot of this to me is attacking the music services I think and that's right. the biggest impact. I could drop my, I, I use title. I could drop that tomorrow and use YouTube. And now I have all the music cause it's also connects you to Google play. So anything right. that's on Google play, which is mostly all the same for all the, sur- uh, all of the subscription services. So now I have access to that. And oh, bonus, I don't get ads on my YouTube videos, which I watch YouTube all the time. And now eventually this premium content will come out. I personally don't follow any YouTube superstars, but you know, there might be some interesting stuff coming out. I'm sure a lot of brands will be coming out with, you know, this uh, special content for YouTube Red. And now I'll have access to that. I I think the music is a really big entry point here, even less so than comparing it to like Netflix or Hulu. It's kind of like this all purpose web experience. uh, It's making it the hub for that, not, um, not as sophisticated for lack of a better word, but that kind of media, it's not really attacking that. It's more attacking everything else.
1: Yeah. That, no, that's a really, really smart point because, um, well, they're absolutely going after the super user because the, the person who goes on YouTube, YouTube, maybe once a day, watches two videos and moves on with their life. Like that's not who they're going after with a subscription service. They're going after the people that they, that are, are, you know, on YouTube for hours and hours on end, that this will really benefit them. And, if that's the case for you then you're probably able to make a case for yourself even if you are 17 18 19 that 999 is a good investment right in this place cuz it's going to like <laughs> lift my quality of life with this product um and they'll prioritize it because they spend such a significant portion of their life interacting with this brand and this app so you know i think While it seems, I think, for us older folk, um, it seems kind of like, what? Like, I don't know. Why would I pay that? Um, It seems really high for a younger person. But then I think it's also – it's kind of like when iPhone came out. iPhone was actually, I think, a a fascinating product because while the price point was extremely expensive when it first came out – Particularly for a phone, because we weren't used to paying that kind of money for a cell phone. You usually got a cell phone free with your subscription plan, or you paid like thirty nine ninety nine or whatever it was. The iPhone came out, and I was like, oh, "Wow, that's a huge price point," but. The people who were the early adopters and had the iPhone, they were across economic classes. They were across age groups. They were kind of all over the place because it was positioned as a product that was just so going to benefit your life, that was accessible to anybody. It wasn't an elite product. It wasn't for this person. And so you saw all different kinds of folks with an iPhone. Um, So I forgot what my point was, but it was in there somewhere.
2: iPhones. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all very quickly adapted to uh, putting that that price tag
2: on that thing. One interesting thing about this story was Google throwing its weight around a little bit too. Because did you hear what they're doing to the uh, creators who don't opt in to this program? If you are a creator or, or a partner, I don't actually know what defines you as that. And you do not opt in to be part of YouTube Red, Red they are going to make your videos private. Right. So now it, you might as well not exist. So they're pretty much like, hey, we're doing this, guys. Right, yeah. Yeah, very much like Zappos.
0: You're in or you're out, <laughs> you know? Well, and and there was uh, – initi- but I still think the creators have some leverage because there was some flap, much like Apple got, about the free trial. You know, initially they said – well, no, you're not going to get a cut of revenue during the the 30 days because we're Apple not making said it. That to artists, Apple said yes. that, and YouTube said that. Oh, to, really? Initially, okay. And now I, I saw some posts online that they're backtracking because the creators are like, "No, there's no. You give me the revenue. You're making the ad revenue. I would be losing that ad revenue." So I think it's um it's going to be an interesting time ahead. And and you know I think there are so many different channels now for creative content creators to explore. Uh, And and I think that they are going to realize some of the power of these systems. You you know, you have to think that Apple's got its Apple TV, which just came out today, and and they're trying to build their own ecosystem. So there's going to be so many places. Uh, I I hope that it turns into a creator's market, but we'll see. I pledge to drop my current music
2: subscription, and I'm going to do the trial of YouTube. And On the next podcast, I'll let you know if...
0: I think it's a valuable music listening experience. Love it. Excellent. Great. Hey, listeners, it's Peter here. Just one note, our third topic, unfortunately, got swallowed up by our audio software, so we're not able to include it in this week's podcast, but we will bring it back in a future episode. So meanwhile, here's the things we don't think you should miss. Um, All right. Well, now we want to go around the table and talk about our one thing not to miss. Uh, You, our listeners, love this part of our podcast, so... I'll start off. uh, My recommendation is going to be a book that I just started reading. So it may end up not being great, but so far I'm really enjoying it. And uh, especially if you're in the entertainment business, it's called Razzle Dazzle. Uh, It's a book that was written by Michael Riedel of the New York Post, Um, you know, controversial theater writer. Uh, But it's basically telling the story of, you know, the, the, the changeover, the corruption of Broadway and uh, the ice that was kind of the money laundering that happened with the best tickets in the 70s and uh, how, you know, the the, the the group of people in New York that really tackled that problem and changed it so that there was a lot less corruption. Uh, so far, it's really good, um, you know, working in this industry and knowing a lot of the The people, the the current people who are working in the Schubert organization and the Nederlanders, you know, this is really the history of how Broadway of today became what it is and and how they kind of tried to get rid of a lot of the grift that was happening specifically in the box offices with like the best tickets. So it's really interesting. Um, And when I finally finish it, I'll I'll come back on the podcast and let people know how it ended. Um, Lisa, what was the what's one thing that you don't think our listeners should miss this week?
1: Well, I'm going to do a completely shameless plug. Um, So I sing with a chorus called the Oratory Society of New York. It was founded in the 1870s. Um, Andrew Carnegie actually built Carnegie Hall for this chorus. Andrew Carnegie's wife sang in the chorus and Andrew Carnegie was the president of the chorus for many, many years, I think like 30 years. Um, And he decided one day, hey, y'all need a place to sing. Let me build you a hall. And so as part of the mission statement of the chorus, we always perform at Carnegie Hall. Um, But the chorus has been around for just shy of 150 years. It's a 200 person chorus. And we sing a mix of classical works, um, as well as contemporary pieces. And we are doing a piece um, on Monday, November 2nd. So in case you're listening to this the second that we upload it um, come tonight otherwise um, please check out the website and you can see the other concerts we have this year but selling choral music to today's people is rather challenging and a lot of people just think it's not for them but Um, it's this piece that we're doing, Philos's Requiem, it came out in 2001. It was in response to September 11th attacks. It's really beautiful. Um, and newer composers, I think sometimes people think, oh, I just like the old stuff. And it's just a really fascinating piece. And if you've never really experienced choral music, I encourage you to give it a try, whether it's our chorus or, um, the Desoff chorus or whatever it is, um, because it is a, it's a hard sell sometimes, but it's a, a really beautiful way to experience music.
0: That sounds awesome. Uh, and, and you know, you're experiencing it in one of the most amazing venues in the city as well. You know, so it's the whole experience of that. What's the website? Where, where should the, what is the website address?
1: I believe it is oratoriosocietyny.org. Excellent. Can and we hear a little bit, do you think? <laughs> I think that'll really help. You can help. hear a clip on the site. <laughs>
0: And Lisa, the last question is, how do you get to Carnegie Hall?
1: Practice, practice, practice.
0: Excellent. Kevin, what is the thing that you don't think our listeners should miss? Don't miss.
2: This is also a New York-centric thing if you're in town. Uh, Do not miss the New York Comedy Festival. How nice. Yeah, five days uh, from November 10th to November 15th. It's a collaboration between Carolines on Broadway and Comedy Central. Everybody from big names to lesser-known comedians. It's just great. There's stuff all over the city. Every every day for those five days, amazing. I'm going to go see Chris Gethard at Union Hall on the 10th, and it's really exciting. So get out there and see some funny stuff.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, When does it begin again? November 10th. November 10th. Excellent. Well, you'll have to tell us uh, in addition to giving us an update on – YouTube bread. you'll have to tell us who your favorite comedian was. From- it's always me. It's always me. Excellent. Are you performing in the festival? I'm performing outside the venue for anyone who's <laughs> willing to listen. Excellent. And Lisa will be on the corner singing choral music. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be reading my book on a park bench. Um, thank you all so much for listening to Inside Situation. We really appreciate all of your feedback and your comments. Uh, you can get in touch with us at podcast at situation.nyc uh, Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you, Lisa, and we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Take care.